Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Employment Law Matters. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers, and what I'm doing today is talking to you a little bit about homeworking. Now, I run a membership club for smart, ambitious, standalone HR professionals called the HR Inner Circle, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk, and every single month they receive an audio seminar from me on a particular topic. This month it's homeworking, and what I'm doing in this episode of Employment Law Matters is giving you one of the 10 tracks from that audio seminar. It's the track on preparing for homeworking. Other tracks cover the concept of homeworking, how you agree it contractually, health and safety issues, security and data protection, managing it, ending it, and the future of homeworking. But what I'm giving you in this episode is the track on preparing for homeworking. I hope you find it useful. And one thing I do quickly want to mention is that I've set up a new resource for HR professionals and employers and lawyers who are looking to avoid redundancies in the workplace because redundancies is a big thing at the moment. Just look at the news. We do know that lots of businesses are being forced to make compulsory redundancies. I've set up a 10 module video course called Getting Redundancy Right that shows you 13 ways to avoid compulsory redundancy. But if you can't avoid it, it takes you on a step by step guide through exactly how you can conduct a redundancy process. The website is gettingredundancyright.com, gettingredundancyright.com. And right at the moment, for the next few days, we're in pre-launch, which means that I'm, I've recorded about half the 10 modules. I'm recording the others day by day. And while we're in pre-launch, I'm uploading an episode, uploading a module every day or every other day. And while they're being uploaded for the next week or so only, there's a 40% discount on the course, gettingredundancyright.com. The moment the 10th module is uploaded, which is going to be in about a week's time, uh, that 40% discount disappears. So if you're thinking about looking at the course... Now's the time to do it, gettingredundancyright.com. The modules are on, I'll just tell you very, very quickly. The modules are on, module one is introduction. Module two is the definition of redundancy and how employees challenge fairness. Module three is 13 ways of avoiding redundancies. Module four is on how to choose the selection pool. So I go through the pool of one, narrow versus wide pools, two rules to select your pool and consulting over the pool. Module five is on choosing your selection criteria, something that is very much a challenge for a lot of businesses. I talk about objective versus subjective criteria and debunk the myth that objective is good, subjective is bad. I talk about a lot of common criteria and how to deal with them, things like length of service, attendance, absence, disability, the cost of employment. And I also give you a template selection matrix, which I've put together and which I use with my clients. Module six is on scoring and individual consultation. So how to do the scoring, how to communicate the scores, the impact of furlough, how to deal with challenges to scores by employees. Module seven is on collective consultation when you're proposing to dismiss more than 20 employees from the workplace. How do you work out what an establishment is? What does proposing to dismiss mean? Who do you consult with? How long do you consult for? What must you consult about? And and lots of other stuff in there as well. Module eight is on the obligation to find and offer suitable alternative employment. 
Module 9 is to do with the actual dismissal process, and Module 10 is on miscellaneous issues such as voluntary redundancy, bumping, how 2P and redundancy interact, the coronavirus job retention scheme and the impact that has on redundancies, and so on. There's also a load of resources it comes with. I already mentioned the template redundancy selection matrix. The first 100 purchasers get a complimentary place at my next HR Secrets seminar tour. I also give you a copy of my redundancy policy, which I use with regular corporate clients. There's a private online forum where you can discuss issues arising from the course and ask questions. I'll be running three live Zoom Q&A sessions with expert guest speakers on redundancy. You also get access to the videos of the 31 webinars I recently chaired in April and May with 31 employment barristers on 31 aspects of employment law, and it comes with a one-year guarantee. So if you're interested in looking at that, this week it's on pre-launch, 40% discount, www.gettingredundancyright.com. For now, let's now turn to the track from my recent audio seminar for members of the HR Inner Circle on preparing for homeworking. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Track four, preparing for homeworking. If you didn't have one before the coronavirus took hold, the chances are you'll have a homeworking policy by now. A homeworking policy is the best place to start when you're figuring out how you see homeworking working for you and your workforce. So some things to think about. Where the employee is employed to work. This is the crux of the homeworking. The employee's normal place of work changes to their home address. There may be some flexibility in the employment contract already that allows you to require them to work from somewhere other than the office or a particular base, but their home will become the new normal place of work. And it's wise to build in some flexibility, particularly when it comes to needing the home worker to travel to and from the office or other bases from time to time. Agree with the employee times or occasions when they'll need to come into work. If specific dates or frequencies can't be set out in advance, and frankly, it's best to keep it flexible, agree how you'll go about notifying them when they're needed in the office. Now, they might want some freedom to be able to work from somewhere else from time to time, like a coffee shop. It's all up for discussion. But of course, you've got to make sure there are sufficient rules and protections in place, particularly when it comes to data security and confidentiality. When will they work? This is a really important detail to firm up from the outset. Although a homeworking arrangement can give the employee a certain amount of slack to pop out and pick up a parcel or to drop the dog off at the groomers, and they're small things that can be a welcome change for people used to the rigidity of the office environment, there does need to be an agreed structure to the employee's working day. Whether that's to put in a certain number of hours within a set period of time, or whether it's to stick to the normal nine to five, and maybe you're happy for them to work as and when, provided they get the job done. Talk it through with the employee. Bear in mind the working time regulations. Bear in mind that too much fluidity around working hours can lead to a blurring of the work-home boundaries. Also, how do you keep track of time worked? Think about maximum average 48-hour working week. If there are to be more or fewer hours worked, there might need to be a discussion about pay. Now, I did mention earlier that homeworking carries with it not just the risk of the employee not working as much as they should, but also the risk of overdoing it because homeworkers are susceptible to the always on mentality or to just do another few hours or just open up the laptop in the evenings. And that's because 
Closing the door to a home office or packing stuff up from the kitchen table is nothing like leaving a building and driving home. So try to promote a set start time and finish time and remind the employee to take their breaks. I'll look at this in more detail shortly under health and safety. As I mentioned a little earlier, be very clear that if they have caring responsibilities, proper arrangements have to be put in place so that working hours aren't affected. So a parent to a two-year-old would need to have arranged childcare provision. The same goes for an employee who cares for an elderly relative. Keep on top of this, because if the care provision falls through, it's likely to significantly alter and affect your take on the homeworking. The onus is on the employee to make sure proper arrangements are in place for the duration. Remember a trial period. It's always sensible to try before you buy. And that's just as important for the employee as it is for you. They may have a reality or sorry, they may have a vision of what homeworking looks like, but the reality might be very different. And a trial period helps show that you're prepared to give it a go as opposed to writing it off from the start. So do actually give it a go. Don't go through the motions and hit the employee with a sorry, this isn't going to happen at the end. You need a good reason for concluding that homeworking is unsuitable. Factor in discrimination risks here. What about furniture? What about equipment? Well, the employee will need a range of things in their home to do their job properly and safety. And really, you're the one expected to provide these. So you should be clear about who owns the equipment, about who should insure the equipment and who's responsible for paying for repairs or replacements. And there should be an obligation on the employee to take good care of the equipment and to tell you straight away if any of it becomes faulty or damaged or otherwise not suitable. You might consider asking the employee to pay for or contribute to the cost of repair if they cause the damage. Now, the equipment that's needed will be dependent on the role, but can be anything from a computer and a desk to a dedicated phone line, a filing cabinet, a shredder. The employee is likely to have some of these things already, but in an ideal world, you'll supply it if you can, because that way you have more control over its use and you can make sure it's of the right standards, particularly when it comes to data protection and the security of information. And you'll know if it's compatible with the systems used in the office. Do put restrictions on the permitted use of your office equipment that you supply for them, so not for general family use, and make it clear it remains your property. If they're going to be using some of their own equipment, such as a laptop or a desk chair, make sure it's suitable. And I'll come back to health and safety and security and data protection shortly. What about pay and benefits? There's a risk a home worker can end up on a worse deal than colleagues in the office. So imagine if the office workers get subsidised lunches in the staff canteen or free haircuts in the building's hair salon. God, can you imagine haircuts? Wouldn't that be heaven at the moment? Now, those things might seem insignificant, but a home worker who doesn't have the same or similar benefits is being treated less favourably. Now, of course, they could choose to travel to the office for a haircut or lunch, but it might be worth thinking about whether there should be alternatives in place to make up for benefits lost. Personally, I think that's going a bit too far, but some organisations will want to think about that. Then there's bills and costs and expenses. Are you prepared to contribute to things like the employer's utility bills and broadband and land rental? That's for negotiation between you and the employee. There's certainly no obligation to. Be clear about what they can claim back. I would usually expect an employer to cover costs like printing and postage and travel to and from meetings, though. 
Tax can be complicated. It's always worth getting specific advice in respect of liabilities and set-offs. And frankly, maybe it should be the employee paying for that, not you. Also, the employee has to make sure that by working from home, they're not breaching a term of their mortgage or their lease. They've got to make sure they've got the right insurance in place. And if it increases the premium, maybe there'll have to be some discussion between you about whether you contribute to the cost of their home insurance. It's uncommon, but maybe you need to look at planning permission if the employee's use of the home takes them into operating a business from home, as opposed to the home still mainly being a home. It's unlikely, but it's worth flagging it up with the employee. Make it clear your policies continue to apply. So if the employee is ill, they should phone in in the usual way. If they want to book a holiday or take family leave, they have to follow the holiday procedure or the maternity and family friendly policy. Consider whether any modifications are needed to these things to suit the home working arrangement. And also spell out that you might want to monitor the home workers' use of email and of social media to make sure their working time is being properly spent and that work and personal boundaries are being maintained. Just be aware, if the home is using their own computer rather than one of yours, you would need their express authorization in order to access it. It's an offence under the Computer Misuse Act 1990 to gain unauthorised access to computer material. Would you ever need to gain access to the employee's home? Well, set out when you might need access to the employee's home. So, for example, to deliver, to set up, to repair, to replace equipment, to carry out risk assessments, to retrieve equipment during or at the end of the homeworking. And it's best to be clear that you'll give reasonable notice, that you'll only access at reasonable times and that you expect the employee to be cooperative. What about ending the homeworking? Well, as homeworking is a contractual arrangement, it can't just be ended on a whim. Obviously, if the trial period doesn't work out, the homeworking can be stopped before it's really begun. I'll talk about this in a little more detail in track eight. But suffice it to say that for now, you should be clear about how the arrangement can be changed and what happens then. Will you aim to or will you promise to? Will you definitely return the employee to the workplace unless a conduct or capability issue prevents that? Or will you just use reasonable endeavours. In the next few tracks, I'll be looking at some of the other big issues that homeworking presents, health and safety, data protection, and managing the employee. Well, that's the preparing for homeworking track, and I hope you found that useful. Remember, if you'd like to get the full audio seminar and get audio seminars every month, along with a monthly magazine and access to so many other benefits, I can't even describe it. Join the HR in a Circle. It's my membership club for standalone, smart, intelligent, ambitious HR professionals, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. And if you're interested in the Getting Redundancy Right online course that I mentioned in the introduction. That's at gettingredundancyright.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Daniel Barnett. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.